are so blessed here with uh, talented people, aren't we? It's amazing how many people can read music here. Thank you, ladies. You always do a wonderful job. We're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning, if you would find your spot there. We'll be in Genesis 32 in just a few minutes. We're going to begin in Genesis 27, if you'd like to find your place there. Genesis 27, then we'll be in Genesis chapter 32. I wonder how many of you have ever experienced something like this. You're struggling with a major problem in your life or some fear or some uncertainty about the future or some other major issue. I'm not talking about a minor thing. I mean something major in your life. It's like a giant weight upon your shoulders. And there finally comes a time where you go to the Lord in prayer and you lay whatever it is that's weighing you down. You roll it off of your shoulders onto the wonderful, strong shoulders of the Lord Jesus. And during that time of prayer where you're unloading that major burden from your life, you feel a wonderful sense of relief and joy and peace. And then you finish your prayer and you say your final amen. And then you reach out and pick that giant weight back up, place it back on your shoulders, and then walk on trying to figure out how to handle these things. Anyone ever done that or is it just me? Okay. All right. A lot of you have done that. Why do we do that? I mean, let's think about it. How dumb is that? Why do we do that? That we give these burdens to the Lord and we get that peace and that joy and we then pick them back up and carry them. Well, to make matters worse, we can do that over and over again. We bring that burden to the Lord and we unload it upon Him and then we pick it back up and carry it. Well, if you've ever struggled with that, and it seems like that several here have, myself included, I've got some encouraging words for you today. It seems that we're not the first ones to do that. We're not the first ones to roll a burden onto the Lord only to go back and pick it up and uh, try to handle it ourselves. It seems it's been going on for a very, very long time. In fact, it seems it's been going on since the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. In fact, I think we see a picture of it here in the life of our man Jacob. Now, I need to remind you, since it's been so long ago since we studied uh, some of Jacob's life as to where we are in the story. We last studied Jacob back in November. And uh, some of you were with us, some weren't, but it really doesn't matter because I want to kind of bring us all back up to speed at, to, as to where we are in his life. He's just left Uncle Laban's house. Uh, he's spent 20 years uh, with Uncle Laban. It's been a long time since he's been home. And those 20 years were not easy years. Uh, they were hard years. He labored 14 years for his wives, and then he labored another six years for his wealth, and now he's leaving Laban behind, he's done with Laban, and in fact, uh, he's glad about that, but now there's another man that's upon his mind. There's a man who he can't get out of his mind, the man that was the reason in the first place that he went to Uncle Laban's, and that man was his own brother, Esau. And Esau's upon his mind. You remember that as we studied through his life, or maybe in days gone past, you have personally that Jacob was a conniver and he was a, a shyster and he stole the birthright and he got the blessing from his brother Esau. And Esau did not take very kindly to that. And in fact, if you're in Genesis uh, chapter 27, let me kind of set the stage of where we are in the story and what's about to take place. Genesis 27, verses 41 through 45. 
This is back before he fled to Laban's. Here's what's going on. Genesis 27, 41 through 45. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And so if you kind of look back at the story, the reason he was at Uncle Laban's in the first place is because of the hatred from his brother Esau, the desire of Esau to kill him. And she says, well, you go stay a few days, and when it's safe, when everything's good, I'll send to get you to come home. And by the way, the never, there never was a day where she sent to retrieve him. There never was a day where she sent a messenger and said, okay, it's now time for you to come home. Jacob didn't know how Esau felt about him after all these years. But it's time to go home now. And it's time to face his brother. Genesis 32 is our passage today. Genesis 32, as Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau, not knowing how Esau feels. The last time he saw Esau, Esau had hatred in his eyes toward him and wanted to kill him. Genesis 32, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Genesis 32, verse 1, he's just left Laban. And now Genesis 32, 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Manan. When Jacob sent messengers before the Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And four hundred men are with him. Verse 7. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Verse 9, we come to Jacob's prayer. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now let's insert an amen there. 
as this prayer comes to a close. And we go to verse 13 and we see what comes right after his prayer. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau his brother. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats. Two hundred ewes and twenty rams. Thirty milk camels with their colts. Forty cows and ten bulls. Twenty female donkeys and ten foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me, put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, whose are these in front of you, then you shall say, They are your servants, Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, also he's behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau. When you get the picture here, he has this large gift and all these uh, flocks and herds. And here comes one. And Esau says, Well, whose are these? Well, they're your servant. Jacob's. it's a gift. He's coming behind us. Then a second. Then a third. And he goes through this. And here's the reason, verse, uh, verse 20. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now did you notice that he prays to the Lord? And he cries out to God and he does all these wonderful things in the prayer and he says his amen, and right after he's done praying, he gets up and he begins preparing this present for his brother Esau. He goes from prayer to plotting. He goes from surrender to scheming. He goes from faith to fear. Now, a few people that I read, a few commentators say, well, this is fine. This is a good thing. One even said, well, it's wise that he would you know, give all these gifts to his brother. But I don't think so. His actions here are not carried out in faith. They're carried out in fear. Listen, it's not the present that's the problem. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to give your family presents and to give other people presents. It's not the gifts that were the problem. It was the motive behind the giving. Notice verse 20 again. He says, I will appease him. I will appease him with the present that goes before me. I'll soften him up with these gifts. I'll kind of butter him up a little bit. And after it, I'll see his face. After all the gifts, then I'll come here coming up before him. And then he says, perhaps, perhaps he will accept me. And I thought, oh, how often are we like Jacob? Oh, God, please help me. I cast myself upon you. I look to you. Please handle this situation because I cannot handle it. And then we get up after saying amen and we go about trying to handle the problem. Trying to handle the situation. And here Jacob is walking by fear and not by faith. He's fearful about his future because of the things that he's done in his past. And I believe he really does want to trust God. I believe that he really does want to trust God, but he's still scheming and he's still plotting and he's still trying to figure it all out and he's still taking matters in his own hands. And so the question is, where did he, get, where did he go wrong? What caused him to act this way? How can he go from praying to plotting, from surrender to scheming? And, and by looking at his life, how can we avoid doing the same thing in our lives? And I think we see clearly the answer here 
in this passage. And I want to point out three things that he did. And by looking at what he did, I think it will help us not to do these things. Okay? So we're going to learn from Jacob uh, in, in some areas here of what not to do, if you will. Okay? So I think the first thing we see that he did here that got him in this situation is he forgot about God's protection. He forgot about God's protection. Now, the first two verses of Genesis 32 are very uh, interesting. And they're not just incidental, not just an interesting tidbit. It is the grace of God being displayed again in Jacob's life. He's just been protected from Laban. Laban was furious with him. Laban was angry with him. I think Laban wanted to do him harm, but God stopped him. He's just finished with Laban. He's about to meet Esau. And in between those two appointments, God reveals himself to Jacob that God is still with him, that God is still there, and God will protect him. Look back at Genesis 32, verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. The angels of God met him. So before he met Esau, he met the angels of God. Now, surely when he met these angelic beings, it was a reminder to Jacob that God was still with him and that God was going to protect him. In fact, look at verse 2 again. When Jacob saw them, when he saw the angels, he said, this is God's camp. This is God's camp. And he called that place Manan. Now, Manan literally means, has the idea of two camps. And so some think he's talking about Jacob's camp and God's camp. And some even think, well, there were two camps of angels. There were angels before and angels behind. No matter, whatever it was, we know that he has God's presence with him. And when we're facing difficulty, beloved, we forget as well sometimes that it's God's children. If you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and by the way, if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that today. But as God's children, we also have God's presence and God's protection in our lives. Nothing can get to us without first being cleared by Him. And and there's an unseen angelic host who are doing the Lord's bidding. They are His messengers. They are His servants. And the Bible talks about that they minister to us. Let me share some scripture. You can jot these references down and go back and study them later. Hebrews 1.14. It says in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Think about that. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear Him and delivers them. Recently in our Wednesday night Bible study, and by the way, if you're not already involved in teaching and working in uh, the teen kid or youth group, please come and join us as we're studying through many, many wonderful things on Wednesday night. But recently in a Wednesday night Bible study, we looked at an account in 2 Kings. Chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And we find the prophet Elisha. And the enemies of God were coming, hoping to do harm to Elisha. And in 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17, it says that when the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha's servant, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? 
Now put yourself in that servant's sandals. You wake up. You wipe the, the dirt, the sleepy dirt from your eyes. You go out and look outside. And all around there's an enemy encampment getting ready to come against you. And fear overwhelms. And you're wondering, what in the world are we going to do? He goes back in. Elisha, what shall we do? And I love what Elisha said. And he says this in 2 Kings 6.16. So he answered, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I have to wonder what that servant must have thought at that moment. Maybe he looked around and thought. But the next verse says that Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And listen to what he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was an unseen angelic host more than those that were coming against them. We forget that as children of God, we have His presence. We have His protection. Though we cannot always see it, it is true nonetheless. But here Jacob saw them. It says he met these angels. He saw them. He even said, this is God's camp. Uh, uh, and sometimes, sometimes, we may see them. May not realize it. In fact, uh, Hebrews 13.2 says this, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. The King James has entertained angels unawares. I remember hearing about some kids that mistook that and thought that it said that they were going to see angels in their underwear, but that's not what it says at all. Unaware. Angels, entertained angels. There's a possibility that we have come in contact with angelic beings and not even realized it, according to Hebrews 13.2. John Wesley, you remember the founder of Methodism, he rode many, many miles on horseback preaching and sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I read this past week that one day as he was riding along in a lonely stretch of, of road, he noticed two shadowy figures up ahead of him. And those two figures vanished in a hedge almost as soon as he took his eyes, uh, his eyes took them in. Now he couldn't turn back. Uh, that was not his way and he just couldn't go back. And yet to go on forward on that path would have meant possibly death, injury. We don't know. There was no hope of human help on that deserted road. And so John Wesley did something that we ought to do. He prayed. He prayed. And almost at once he heard hoofbeats coming up behind him. And he turned in his saddle as another traveler rode up beside him. And Wesley, of course, gave this newcomer a hearty greeting and, and then silently they both spurred their horses on and they go on past the place where the robbers, the, the people lay concealed. And I understand that Wesley, after going through safely, turned to say something to his companion only to discover that there was nobody there. The mysterious rider had vanished into thin air. And John Wesley had received an unusual glimpse of an angelic escort that day 
that preserved his life. Possibly preserved his life. Now, beloved, when we try to take matters into our own hands, we're forgetting about God's presence and God's protection in our lives. And it seems that's exactly what Jacob did here. But there's something else that he did that caused him to fear. And that is this. He failed to completely depend upon God in prayer. He failed to completely depend upon God in prayer. In so many ways, Jacob's prayer is a wonderful prayer. In fact, we can learn many things in our, uh, to help us in our own prayer lives. Let me walk you through this prayer real quickly. Okay? Look at verse 9 again. Notice that he begins by focusing on God and his covenant relationship with him. He says in verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. So he begins by focusing upon God. He begins by focusing upon the covenant that, that he has by, uh, with him because of Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. We notice likewise in this prayer, he recounts God's promises. Look at verse 9 again. You're the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. Look at verse 12. He says to God, For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's, he's claiming the promises of God. He's recounting them. He's praying back God's promises. Notice likewise that He shows uh, humility and gratitude in His prayer. Look at verse 10. Does this sound like the Jacob you knew before? I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth you've shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, just my walking stick, a stick, and now I've become two companies. God, you've blessed me. I'm not worthy of these things. You have blessed me in a wonderful way. And then I want you to notice what he did likewise in his prayer. And here's where he often dropped the ball. He was specific in his request. He was specific in his request. Sometimes we pray so generally, we wouldn't know if the answer came or not. But he prayed a specific prayer. Verse 12, here's his request. Deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. He was very specific. God, deliver me. And then I want you to notice something else. And sometimes we drop the ball here. He was honest in his emotions and his circumstances. What? Why do we try to hide things from God? God knows all things. He knows our hearts. He knows our emotions. We need to be honest with Him. Look at what He says in verse 12. He says, Deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear Him, lest He come and attack me and the mother with the children. This was a great prayer, but it fell just short. Why? Because He failed to depend completely upon the Lord. He prays, then he gets up and takes matters into his own hands. We're going to get a present together. And you go and you go and you go and, and maybe we can soften him up and appease him and, and butter him up and then I'll come on the scene and, and I'll, I'll call him my Lord and I'll talk about me being his servant and perhaps he will receive me. Perhaps. Several times as I was studying those in preparation for today, mentioned Psalm 37, verse 5. And they mentioned how that Jacob did a good job with the first part of Psalm 37, verse 5, but he failed in the second part. Here's what Psalm 37, 5 says. Commit your way to the Lord. 
Well, he did good with that. But he failed in the next part. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He committed his way to the Lord, but he failed to completely trust in the Lord and allow the Lord to work out these matters in his own will, in his own way. We must pray in faith, believing. Well, there's a third thing here that Jacob did that I don't want us to do, and that is he failed to rest in God's Word. He failed to rest in God's Word. Now, God had made some wonderful promises to Jacob. Wonderful promises. In fact, Jacob had just got done articulating these back to God. He just said, God, you said this and you said that. And what God said was true. And what Jacob says in his prayer is true. But Jacob failed to rest on God's Word. Instead of trusting God's Word and God's promises, Jacob tried to work it all out himself. He rehearses all these things to God. God, you said this and you said that. Deliver me. Amen. And then he gets up and seems to have forgotten it all. George Mueller was a wonderful man of faith and a man of prayer. If you ever get the chance, go and get his autobiography. I mean, he took care of, of so many orphans. And he never asked anybody for anything but God, and God supplied his needs. He was a wonderful man of faith and prayer. And this past week I read something about him that Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote. I'd never heard this before. And so George Mueller, he says, I believe, was asked what was the most important part of prayer. Now listen, when I heard that, when I read that, I, I took notice. Man, here's a man of faith, a man of prayer. It's amazing what God did in answers to his prayer. And he says, what is the most important part of prayer? And so I leaned in real close. And here's what George Mueller said. He said, the 15 minutes after I've said, Amen. What's the most important part of prayer? The 15 minutes after I've said, Amen. Barnhouse says, if prayer is babbling to God and then rushing from His presence to do our own doings, it will be of small help in calming our troubled hearts and bringing the joy of the Lord to our souls. And I thought, what wisdom there. How many times do we fail to trust in the first 15 minutes after we say, Amen? You know, Jacob didn't have these verses that we have. He didn't have yet Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. How do we keep from going from surrender to scheming, from praying to plotting, from faith to fear? Well, we do it this way. We remember God's presence and His protection. We depend upon God completely in prayer. And we rest in God's Word and God's promises. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. One of my preaching heroes, as you probably know, is Adrian Rogers. And Adrian Rogers, who's now in heaven, told the following story in one of his sermons. Dr. Rogers said, In preparation for this message, I got down that little book by Billy Graham on angels. And I read Billy Graham told a particular story about John Patton. John Patton, who was a missionary to the Hedebrees. Let me just insert something here, by the way. He was not just a missionary to the New Hedebrees. You have to understand, he was a missionary to cannibals. That'll help your prayer life, won't it? 
missionary to cannibals. Can you imagine what those cannibals think if I walked on this thing? Why are y'all laughing? But John Patton was a missionary to cannibals. And, and, and Adrian Rogers said, John Patton said that there at the Hedebrees Islands on one particular night, all of the natives had risen up against the missionary compound there. And they'd made up their mind that they were going to burn down the missionary compound and they were going to murder the missionaries. I listened this past week to some of his story and, 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 and listened to some of his life. There's amazing, another wonderful book that you can get to read about John Patton. But there they are. The natives are going to burn down and kill the missionaries. And John Patton and his wife are in that little modest cottage and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed all night long that God would protect them, that God would deliver them. And he says they could hear all the going on outside, but the night went on through and finally the dawn came and the sun arose. And when it did, those who would do them harm just disappeared back into the village and back into the jungle. Well, here's the interesting thing, beloved. Later, the chief of this native tribe was converted and came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And John Patton was talking with him. And John Patton said, were you in that group that was outside our mission compound that night? And the chief said, yes, I was. And he asked him, did you mean to kill us? And he said, yes, we did. And so John Patton said, well, why did you not attack? And I want you to hear what the chief said. He said, well, who were all of those men? Who were all of those men? Patton said, what men? Here's what the chief said. He said there were hundreds of them all around your cottage. And all of them wearing shining garments. And all of them with swords in their hands. He said, who were they? Who were they? And Patton said that he realized that God had sent His guardian angels that night. And the angels of the Lord encamped around those that fear Him. Beloved, I don't know what that burden is today that you're dealing with. I don't know what that fear that you're struggling with. I don't know what it is that's weighing down upon your shoulders this morning. But I want to invite you to come and give it to the Lord and roll it off and don't pick it up again. Leave it with Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. And today I invite you to come and to depend completely upon the Lord in prayer, remembering His presence, remembering His protection and claiming His promises. Father, I thank You for these wonderful stories that I've shared today of how You've protected not only Your man Jacob and his family, but people like John Wesley and people like John Patton. And Lord, if truth be known, people like us. We don't know how many times your divine protection has spared our lives, protected us.
watched over us and kept us. Father, why do we so foolishly try to handle these things on our own when You've told us in Your Word to cast all of our care upon You for You care for us. So Father, I pray this morning that some burdens would be lifted. I pray this morning that some folks would leave this place with a joy and a peace and a rest they've not known for a very long time as they come and as they completely lay burdens down today and say, God, I trust in You. I'm committing my way to You, trusting in You, asking You to handle this because I cannot. And so, Father, I pray this morning Your will would be accomplished in this invitation time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning and the altar is open. I'll be down front if you need to be saved today. We would love to share Christ with you. I'd be glad to welcome you. But really this morning, we've preached to those who know Christ. And I want to invite you today as we sing 445, Sweet Hour of Prayer, to come and make use of this time to bow at this altar and unburden yourself and give these burdens to the Lord. So the altar is open. I invite you to come as we sing 445. Let's stand together and sing Sweet Hours. Thank you.